Okay, we're going to go, get going here. Matthew chapter 12. Looks like we're having issues with the internet still, so it is what it is. We'll get it recorded and up on YouTube and everything will be good. All right, Matthew chapter 12. We got down through verse number 21 last time. And uh, let's go see if we can't catch some verses. We'll start here in verse 22. Uh, we've been dealing with, in the context here, the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the fact here, it, that issue of his rejection is what's beginning to be demonstrated for us in the passage. Uh, it's already confirmed to, uh, in, uh, in relationship to the nation. And now the Lord is, he's, gonna, he's becoming combative now with them. And he's, again, beginning to withdraw himself and begin to move away from. But he, he's really going to begin to uh, get... Uh, a little honorary with them here as we go. Verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? You'll notice that he healed him. He throws the devil out of him. And the result was, was that the man he could see. And he could speak then. He, he was blind and dumb, both spake and saw. So the people see what's going on there, and they say, the people said, is not this the son of David? So they, you know, and we've seen this before, where the Lord will come up and he will do some things, and the people acknowledge who he is. But verse 24 but when the Pharisees heard it, see, now we're going to have the religious leaders show up. They say, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but, Bel but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. So when the people see, it, it's, it's interesting, the Lord will do some, do some miracles and have the message and everything. The people acknowledge it, but then the Pharisees, when they hear it, then they say, this fellow... And that's uh, a little bit of a dig at him. That's a, uh, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And again, when they, they bring in that little expression, this fellow, they uh, do that to Christ, and it's a derogatory term. It's to, to bring him down, to tear him down. And uh, really, in, in essence, here he... <laughs> What the Pharisees are saying is that the miracles he's performing are only by satanic origin. Because the guy that performed them is the same one that performed them on the Sabbath day. You see, he's not even keeping the Sabbath day. He's got to be of the devil. And that's why we talked last time so much about the Sabbath day, because all of chapter 12 happens on one day. It's, a, it's all these events are happening here in kind of one, it's one long encounter. So what they come up is they say, see, he's, he can't be our true guy because he's breaking the Sabbath day, so, so Satan's got to be behind all of that. So he is going, so he can't be right. So verse 25, and Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, that is a wonderful thing there. How would you like, to be going up against somebody and they know what you're thinking. 
they already know that. You wouldn't have a lot of fun then. But the wonderful thing about that statement in that verse is that the devil cannot read your mind. And that's the wonderful thing about it. When they say, see, he's of the devil, or he's of Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Then he says, and Jesus knew their thoughts. Well, wait a minute. The devil can't read your mind. He doesn't understand. He can't know what you're thinking. He doesn't read your mind. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not like God. And that's a wonderful thing there. Jesus knew their thoughts. So he says to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. That's pretty good logic. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. And shall then his kingdom stand? How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I be Beelzebub, I'm sorry, if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, <laughs> that's the issue here. What the Lord's doing is he's like, listen, guys, I'm out here cast. If I'm casting out devils by Beelzebub, all right, then you're going to tell me Satan is casting out himself out of uh, it. Does, this isn't isn't logical. Now, Beelzebub, in Second Kings one verse two, he's called Baalzebub. It's a little different spelling. And it's the same name, okay? But it's Beelzebub, and it's a, but he, he oh, what is his name? I just had it. Second <laughs> Corinthians, 2 Kings 1, verse 2, the end of the verse, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease, Elijah and so forth, Okay? Beelzebub, down in verse 3, the end of it, the god of Ekron. So when you think about the god of... So basically, Beelzebub, or B-E-E-L, or B-A-A-L, they're the same guy, they're the same thing here. They are a... I'm looking for something. Anyway... That name means Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Filth. And if you think about Satan, he is the prince, the power of the air. And it's a term that is used to describe Satan and, sa and the satanic worship and part of the activities involved in Baal worship. In 2 Kings 1, you t take that issue of Ekron and it goes all the way back into Samuel 1 Samuel 5 back there where the ark goes in with the Philistines and it's, and it's Ekron, the king there, and so forth. So it's, it's an issue here about talking about filthy things. Come back to Matthew 12 if you ran to Kings. It's talking about filthy things and unclean things. And so the, the spirits are called unclean spirits. And that, that kind of thing, and that's what they're saying, that, that Christ is doing these miracles by satanic empowerment. 
They're calling Christ an agent of Satan is what they're doing. And they're calling him the devil's man. So Christ says, look, man, a house divided. Look there at verse 26. A house divided can't stand. That doesn't make good sense. If I'm casting Satan out of Satan over here, it doesn't make sense. Now, that's a, we, we've all used that term and that phrase, and we hear it a lot about a house divided can't stand. Abraham Lincoln gets credit for saying it, but he read it out of the book because there it is right there, okay? So in verse 26, and if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? You see, that's the issue there. The way, the way that Satan's kingdom was standing here in the passage is that it is standing, Satan's kingdom stood by having his devils, his demons, possess the nation of Israel. When we studied Luke, Luke 8, we spent like four or five weeks looking at demon possession and the fact that how Satan was going to go in and he was using devils and demon, demonic possession, and he was taking up, the, using it into the people of Israel, so that he could, he could then make Israel not be usable by God. Remember the guy, and he says, I'm legion, and he had all those in one guy. Why? Because they ran out of bodies to, in, to, to get into. You see, Satan's kingdom stood by having his devils, his demons, possess the nation of Israel. So, God, so Christ says, dude, if I'm kicking Satan out of Satan... This is, that's stupid. And again, he, you know, I said it lightly and we don't use the S word, but that's nuts. So Satan's whole goal here, the whole drive here was to corrupt Israel, to corrupt the land of Israel so that the nation and the land was unusable by God. What was God going to do with the kingdom? nation of Israel. He was going to restore the, his authority back in the earth. Well, if Satan corrupted that nation, made them unusable, then, then God can't use that nation, so then God's purpose cannot be accomplished. So Satan's kingdom is able to stand and perpetuate itself here by keeping Israel in an unstable situation. And that's what's going on here. Verse 27, notice the conflict between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. Verse 27, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. The thing there is they are children and they're a little... It's an interesting reference there. People have debated back and forth about whom, by whom do your children cast them out. Some say that that is the 12 apostles. And, uh, that they're, but they're going to sit on 12 thrones judging because, you know, the verse says, therefore they shall be your judges. Okay. But I don't think the 12 apostles are the children of the Pharisees because that's who he's talking to. So then who would be the children of the Pharisees? Well, we've already seen them. Go back to chapter 7 of Matthew. Matthew 7. 
And again, the point here is, well, Matthew 7, verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have not cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's the satanic counterfeit. So what's going on back here? Come over to Acts 19. You'll see it over here. This one's great. I, I, this one's, I, lo I just love this passage when, when you get to talking about this stuff. What's going on here is Christ points out in Matthew 12 to them, and he says, hey, they, these guys are going to come. They're going to condemn you. They're the ones that are condemning you. They're the ones counterfeiting his ministry. They're the ones out there doing this stuff. Acts 19, you have the, a real interesting account here, verse 13, about a bunch of uh, the sons of Sceva, a bunch of vagabond Jews here. Verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call out of them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and the chief of the priest which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? <laughs> and I, I, I just, it tickles me. You know what? Look, Satan and the devils and the demons, they know what God's doing. They know they're in the dispensation of grace here. Verse 16, and, and the men to whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I mean, they just beat the snot out of them, jumped them. So when you come back here to Matthew 12, what the Lord's doing here, verse 26, 27, and 28, he says, hey, if, if I'm... If, you guys say I belong, I'm of Beelzebub. You guys are just, you're not, even thinking, you're not even thinking about this. If Satan, verse 26, cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? Hey, Satan's whole goal here is to come up and stand against the kingdom of God and against what God's doing in Israel and in the earth. And you're talking about what? Well, you just, you know, it's just a bunch of tomfoolery. Verse 27, and if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? And, and again, I believe, I don't think he's talking about the 12 apostles. I think he's talking about that group that's going around counterfeiting what the Lord's doing. They're condemning them as well. Therefore, they shall be your judges. Your proposi the proposition here is, he, is he's saying, hey, look, man, you make your own children condemn you. And, uh, and if I'm casting out devils by the Spirit of God, verse 28, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Now, this is a very interesting change of a term here now. Because it's not the kingdom of heaven, it's the kingdom of God. Because he's casting out devils by the Spirit of God, verse 28, 
That's what he's doing. Then he says, then the kingdom of God, if I'm, if I'm casting them out by the Spirit, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And that, again, is the issue. The issue in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is the battle between Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of God. And that what Christ is saying is, is when I've come healing, and I've come casting out devils, and healing the sick, and cleansing the leper, and raising the dead, and all the other things that he's doing here, I've come down here, and what's going on here is a battle, a spiritual battle between the kingdom of God that Christ is setting in and operating versus the kingdom of Satan who has come in and bound up the nation. Christ is coming along and forming the believing remnant, forming that little flock and getting them together and getting that and so and but yet Satan has bound the nation and they're seeking to destroy the nation. Notice verse 29. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me, and he that uh, gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Notice the issue in verse 29 is that the strong man, and it, he's bound the house, Okay? Spoil his house. So the strong man is Satan. The house is Israel. If you drop down real quick, look over at verse 44, 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished, cleaned out. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits, with him, uh, seven other more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. The man in the passage has to do with Israel. The strong man is Satan. The man's house is the nation of Israel. And Israel, backed up there in verse 29, is under the control of Satan. He controls the house. He dominates it. He possesses the nation. He possesses the people in the nation. Jesus says, how are you going to be able to spoil that man? Spoil the war. There's a battle going on here. And how can you go in there and take over what he's got Except you first have to do what with the strong man? You have to bind him. And if you don't bind him, what's he then going to do to you? Well, he's going to destroy you. He's going to whip up on you. He's going to beat you. He's going to win. So Christ says, I've come, and when I come to set up my kingdom and take, and, and to repo, take repossession of the, the land, the earth, I'm going to come, and I'm going to throw him out. That's that thing there in verse 44 about he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. I'm going to clean, I'm going to clean his clock out, okay? And I'm going to win the day. Now, you'll notice 
that issue here about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. Come back over to Zechariah 13. There's something here that in the, the strong man and so forth that is all connected. And, and, it, and it's something that you have to uh, catch. Okay, Zechariah 13. When the Lord spoils the, the strong man's house, again, that whole issue is the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. And the challenge of Satan's kingdom by Christ as he's come and to, to repossess the nation of Israel, to take over, to, to take possession of the nation back. That challenge to Satan's kingdom produces all of this demonic activity. And they come in and they begin to indwell the people and they begin to take over and they begin to control the nation. So Christ has to answer it by casting out the devils, by casting out the sickness, by casting out the disease, and so forth. So the whole issue and all of the healing ministry and of all of the casting out of the devils and all of the rest of the stuff that the Lord's doing here is this conflict between God and Satan over who possesses the nation of Israel. And that is critical to see as we go forward here because possessing Israel is the only way that Satan's kingdom could ever stand on the earth. Back up there, not, how can Satan's kingdom stand? Keeping, Satan keeping Israel in the condition that God can't use them. Now watch Zechariah 13, verse 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for unclean, uncleanliness. That is the, the second coming is taking place here. They're setting up the kingdom. Jerusalem is going to be open to the nations. Verse 2. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. When Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom, he's going to get rid of the false prophet, the beast. He's going to get rid of every unclean spirit. And he's going to come back and he's going to heal the nation. Of Israel, he's going to heal the nation because he's setting up the kingdom. So in the kingdom, there's what? No more sickness, no more sorrow. No, you know the song, okay? Nobody is going to say I'm sick. They're all going to be healed. They're all they're, and he when he does that. That's that issue there in verse one. In that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanliness. There's a healing there. By the way, that is not the cross. The old timers, uh, I'm, uh, it's interesting with all the time on my hand, I've been reading some, some books and stuff. And boy, the old timers, they sure like to read the cross into that passage. And it's not the cross. This is the issues here in the kingdom. 
So when, he's, when Christ comes back in that kingdom, when he comes, he's going to cast the unclean spirits out. He's going to clean up everything. Now come back to, there to Matthew 12 because you've got to kind of catch where, what's going on here because we have a, a kind of a change here in some terminology. And, and I, I want you to make sure that we see this. Verse 29. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, take possession of his house and the things in it, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? So Satan's plan is to make it impossible for God to use Israel, to use Jerusalem, to do everything in the earth. Christ comes. He says, okay, I'm going to take them. And there's going to be a conflict that's going to happen. Verse 30. He that is not with me is against me, and he that garnereth not with me scattereth abroad. The issue, see, who, who's the who here? He's, it's Christ. He said, you think they've come to bring peace, and I'm telling you, they've come over here to, to mess you up. What did Christ come to do? Christ didn't come to bring peace. He came to do what? You're with me or you're against me. That, verse 30, he that is not with me, Christ, is against me, Christ. He that garneth not with me, Christ. He's, Christ came in here and he, he laid down the issue about you're with me or you're against me. You see, the Lord was dividing the nation. He was dividing the true nation the true remnant, the little flock, the believing remnant, the, how, the Israel of God, however you got to say it to get it, from the false apostate unbelieving nation. Christ was dividing them up. And the people that gathered with him, the people that joined with him, they were identified with him. And they did that by the baptism of John, by John's baptism. So you've got a little Jewish Bible, Baptist, Bible, church. And that's what he's doing here. Christ divided the nation. And again, there was a Jewish, I love that, a Bible, a Jewish, Baptist, Bible-believing church that began with John the Baptist. And if you weren't in that church, the wrath of God's going to fall on you and take care of you. And he says, look, guys, you got to, you're either with me or you're against me. You, you, got, you, you got to get in here. You got to see what's going on. Verse, just verse 31, quickly. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blaspheme shall be forgiven unto men. But the blaspheme against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Uh-oh. That's a wonderful verse. The first part of that verse all manner of sin and blaspheme shall be forgiven. Woohoo, we like that one. But the blaspheme against the Holy Ghost isn't. And whosoever, verse 32, speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. Neither in this world, uh, neither in the world to come. Now, we're going to go through those. But there's an interesting thing here. Because he brings up the unpardonable sin. And when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in, in this section here, go back up there to verse 28. 
But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. He came and he cast out devils by the Spirit of God. When he does that by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come unto them. The kingdom of God, that term is a spiritual kingdom brought by the Spirit of God. When he does that by the Spirit of God, he cast out the, 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 um, the devils by the Spirit of God. The kingdom of God has come, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom brought by the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God shows up, it's here in reference to the issue of the kingdom of God. Now, you have to, again, got to, the kingdom of God deals and focuses on the spiritual issues. But up until this point, Matthew has used the kingdom of heaven. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom is that and so forth. Now, but he's also, go back to chapter 6. Just kind of catch this. About, he's also used that term, the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, verse 33. Because 6.33 is the first time he uses kingdom of God. Matthew 12 is the second time. What does he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Every other time Matthew uses the expression, kingdom of heaven... He's describing the literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. But when God brings in the issues of the first time he brings up a spiritual situation, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's spiritual. And all these things, there's the physical stuff. When he does that, when he begins to bring up the issue of looking at the spiritual issues, of their faithful obedience to him, and when they respond by faith to him, then there will be the physical blessings and rewards that are going to come because of that. But he uses that term, the kingdom of God. Now, we don't have the time, and and Matthew, I don't want to get bogged down in it. We'll spend some time looking at it in the future about the kingdom of God But when Matthew uses it, go back to Matthew 12 here, he's talking about a spiritual kingdom. So when he says, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, you go over there to Luke and you you, you run the comparative passages, come over to Luke 17. Luke 17. I I know we did some of this when we went through Luke, um, but that was 10 years ago, (laughs) roughly. When he, when he looks over here at Luke, Luke 17, he says that I cast out the devils by the finger of God, Luke 17, 20. He says, I cast out by the finger of God. One says, I cast out by the Spirit of God. So then what is the finger of God? The Spirit of God, Luke 17, 20. And when he was demanded... Of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here or there, 
For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Isn't that interesting? Where's the kingdom? It's in them. By the way, the, the finger of God passage is in Luke's 11. I'll just give you that so you have it. Luke 11 and verse 20. Luke 11 and verse 20. But if I will, if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? So when God... Remember Moses gets the Ten Commandments and God wrote them with his finger? Who wrote the book? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit did that. So in Luke 17 there, he, he says that kingdom of God is where? Within you. Now what happens is, is people like to use that verse for a lot of different things. But you there is a, is a plural issue. You see? Is he talking about if, if, if the kingdom of God is not... A literal, physical, visible kingdom. How do you know that? It, because the kingdom of God is something inside of people. Okay? He says that the kingdom of God is within you. Well, who are the you there in the passage? Verse 20. The Pharisees. Is the kingdom of God in the Pharisees? Not at all. See? So the Pharisees, so he's not talking about it being inside the Pharisees, a bunch of unbelievers. He's talking about that word you there, plural, in the, in the, in the group there that are the believers. You remember, that's why that you, the plural you, you know, and then you've got the, the thou and the ye and the you, and all, you've got to remember all of that, the, the singular and the plural. See, he's talking about it's in you. I'm in you, the people, and I'm with you, the people there that were there. So come back to Matthew 12. So there's some things in here, in, because when we get into verse 31 and 32, the unpardonable sin passage, he's talking to a group of people here who think that they are the kingdom. And they're accusing him of being the devil. And he's like, this isn't making any sense, guys. So he's nailing them. He says, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to come back. I'm going to bind the strong man, and I'm going to spoil out his house. I'll clean it all up, and we'll be just fine. So Matthew 12, verse 31. And again, the reason you go back there and look at the issue there about the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God, again, is because Christ comes and, minister, and ministering by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God is there. So he says, uh, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, so then he says, verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blaspheme shall be forgiven unto men, but the blaspheme against the who? The Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Again, whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man... It shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Again, the issue, he, he says, look, man, I'm casting the devils out up here by the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God. The spiritual issue is, and if you talk bad about the Spirit, you're done. Now, this is a wonderful passage, and we've got like five minutes on the clock, but we're going to do it, okay? Okay. <laughs> 
we got started 20 after, so we got a few more minutes here. He, you, you need to notice the sin and the blaspheme issue here. Now, blaspheme simply just means to speak evil against. The sin involved in the passage is, is a speaking sin. It is somebody that is speaking against the Holy Ghost. I hope you see that. Then you know some things. I know that the unpardonable sin is not murder. It's not adultery. It's not refusing to believe. It's not persecuting the church, as Paul's going to say. It's not anything that people come up with. The Roman Catholic Church has nailed it down pretty good, okay, <laughs> about it, all right? Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. All kinds of, all of the evil things that man can do will be forgiven. But speaking against, but blaspheming against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven. Then there is a sin that is not going to be forgivable for some people. What is that? Well, it's the sin of speaking against the Holy speak saying something against the Holy Ghost. Okay? Now, let's run a couple verses. Look at Mark chapter 3, where this shows up in Mark, and then we're going to go over into Luke. But I want you to read Mark 3 first. So there's some things here about the unpardonable. There is a sin here that the Lord talking about. But then when you get over into the book of the Revelation, there's another thing that they do that they can never be forgiven of, and that's take the mark of the beast. So you have to be very careful because this unpardonable sin issue and the speaking is now and in the world to come. Very specific. Mark 3, verse 28. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherefore, uh, wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath, nev hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. That's pretty clear. Verse 30, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. Look at that. That's real clear. No, no ambiguity, no arguing. Mark 3 doesn't get to go to church a lot. Matthew 12 does, okay? Now, come on over to Luke 23, and let's just notice some things here about this. Luke 23 and verse 34. The Lord is on the cross. We just had Easter a couple weeks ago here. And he said, verse 34, Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Lord Jesus Christ is his ministry. We'll do a little chalk here. The Lord's, Lord Jesus Christ comes to the full mason here in Matthew to John. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He goes there. He hangs there. He looks out over that nation. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know. They cry away with him. Crucify him, we'll have no one but Caesar, the whole thing. They speak against him. They reject him. 
They demand that Herod take him and kill him. And he says, Father, forgive them. So now that tells me something about the unpardonable sin. It's not back here in time past. The unpardonable sin was not committed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Why? Because what did Jesus Christ just say? Forgive them. He just secured forgiveness for the nation there at Calvary. Had they blasphemed at that point, had they in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, committed the unpardonable sins, he couldn't have forgiven them. They would have been done. Come over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1. So, number one, the unpardonable sin is a speaking sin. It's not murder, adultery, persecution, fornication, whatever, you know, the religious scene wants to pull. It has to do with something that where people are speaking against the Holy Ghost. It's a very specific type of sin. Number two, it... The unpardonable sin is not committed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I know that because at Calvary, he says, forgive them. Okay? Now, we come over here to Paul in the body of Christ. The but now. Right? Look at 1 Timothy 3. Look at verse 13. Talking about himself, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceeding abundantly with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy. Isn't that interesting? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on me, on him to life everlasting. Was Paul a blasphemer? Yes. But did Paul get saved? Yes. You see, blaspheming in the dispensation of grace, even against the Holy Spirit, is not an unpardonable sin. Christ ascends into heaven, right? Sends the Holy Spirit back, Acts 2, right? He go, they go out into a ministry when, in the apostles and the little flock. They're out there, and there's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1 to 7. Okay? The Apostle Paul blasphemes against the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in that little flock of people there, and yet God still did what? Saved him. This is critical, because back here in Matthew 12, it says that if a man, if the man speaks against, come on, come back over to... Matthew 12, a man won't get forgiveness for that sin, not in this world or in the world to come. And you know, one of the ways that I know that a new dispensation, a new age is involved there, 
is, and that it started with the ministry of the apostle of Paul is because God Almighty had to start something new in order to save Paul. So the DOG starts there in Acts 7. Paul is saved in Acts 9, and then we have the church, the body of Christ. Paul was a blasphemer. Paul was a man who was in line to be cursed, eternal damnation. Matthew says there is no forgiveness for that man in this world or in the world to come. Looks like the chart, doesn't it? One of the strongest arguments that I know of to demonstrate that the body of Christ and that the dispensation began with the ministry of the Apostle Paul is because if there was not a dispensational change involved in his salvation, his salvation could not have been accomplished in the prophesied program. There's no way. Come back to Luke 19. Well, you know what? Just go to Acts 7 for time. I hope you follow that. Because the unpardonable sin was not committed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a speaking sin, by the, again. And I know it's not committed today in the age of grace. Okay? So then what are we talking about here? So then where, where does it fit? Well, Acts chapter 7. There's something happening in the Acts period. Again, Jesus Christ goes away, sends the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit falls on them, Acts 2. And they go, they go, they go out and they begin to do the ministry with the Holy Spirit. Okay, he sends them out to occupy that, that, the passage in Luke 19. The nobleman, I'm going to go away. You occupy. you got a job to do. You're going to go out here and get going with the nation. Give them a renewed opportunity. And they begin to, they begin to go out and be his witnesses and his servants. And they've got the Holy Spirit working with them. That stuff in Matthew 10. Don't worry about what's going to say. It's going to be given to you. You're going to be on in Acts 2. You're going to be undialed with power. Acts 1. And, and so forth, and off they go. And they begin to work. And in chapter 7, you got a man named Stephen. Now, if you look up in chapter 6, just real quick, 6 verse number... Oh, I just had it. I'm in 7, that's why it's not... 5. 6, 5. And the saying pleased, I was looking in 7.5, and that didn't make no sense. So the, the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Chapter 7, Stephen stands. He's a man full of the Holy Ghost, and he begins to preach to the, synagogue, to the Senate there, the, the Sanhedrin, to the leadership. He gets them laid out, verse 51. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hearts and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. What did their fathers do? They killed them. They killed the prophets. They rejected the prophets. They blasphemed against them. 
They wouldn't have had them. Okay? Verse 52, which, none, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Boy, what a question. That's a loaded question. And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. Not a good, not a good message. Who hath received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it? When they heard these things, they hugged on him and loved him and said, Praise the Lord. No. They heard these things. They were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. Stephen said, You guys are doing literally doing the same things that your daddies did. And they take up the stones and they stone it. They gnash on him. And can you imagine gnashing on him with their teeth? I mean, they're biting him. You know, children fight that way. You know, when I'm driving the bus, you hey, quit biting him. <laughs> hey, he's biting me. They stone him. Verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then he dies, and he's taken up, and he says, Hey, Father, I, I, I love that. Verse 58, they cast him out, and there was Saul, right? Verse 59, they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What sin? The unpardonable sin. The blaspheme of the Holy Ghost. The Lord said, Father, forgive them. Okay, no problem. Stephen cried something similar, but Stephen is a man. And the Word says, Matthew 12 says, you can't do that and be forgiven here or out here. You've got the tribulation. You've got the second coming. You've got the setting up of the kingdom. And in this tribulation period of time, they were of us, but they really weren't of us. They're Jews, but they, they belong to the synagogue of Satan. And so you have that world to come out here of the unpardonable sin as well. By the way, again, if they take the mark, they're done as well. Okay? So come back to Matthew 12. A lot going on here. Okay? Was Paul a blasphemer? Yes. Was he deserving of being forgiven? No, he broke the rules. But God changed the program there with the fall of Israel in Acts 7 with the stoning of Stephen. Saul of Tarsus is standing there. Chapter, very next chapter, he's chapter 8 kind of stacks up here. <laughs> okay, because it's all about Philip. But in chapter 9, you've got Saul of Tarsus converted on the road to Damascus. Acts 26, and that's the only way, the only way that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, Paul could have ever been converted was that God had changed the program. The nation of Israel had sent that message back up, Luke, Luke talks about there. We'll send him a message. We won't have him. We'll speak against the Son of Man. We'll speak against the Holy Spirit. 
They rejected his witness to them through the apostles. They persecuted them. They blasphemed them. They commit the unpardonable sin right there in Acts 7. That's why he takes the kingdom from that nation and gives it to the little flock. And the unpardonable sin works itself out in the book of Acts. Not back here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but in Acts. Not in the dispensation of grace, but in the tribulation period and that which is the ages to come. Now, we'll stop and we'll pick up in verse 33 next time. Where, if you'll notice in verse 33, he's going to call them a generation of vipers in verse 34. In verse 36, uh, that, uh, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Christ's estimation of them here is, going to, is getting a little darker. <laughs> he's going to demonstrate who they really are, and he's going to use the words that come right out of their mouth to do it. And uh, the old saying about, you know, your mouth reveals what's inside of your heart, and that's what he's going to do here with them. And we'll pick up in verse 33 and go. Just catch that he's, the Lord's attitude in dealing with the nation has changed. He's a little more ornery with them now because they've rejected him. And, and just as any of us would be, you don't want me? You against me? I'm out of here. You for me? Then let's talk. And that's literally what he's doing with them. And, that, and, he's, and he's, then he sets in that order of the unpardonable sin. Again, it doesn't happen while he's here. How do you know? Because on the cross he says, Father, forgive them. It doesn't happen today in the age of grace because Paul was a blasphemer and he got saved. It happens here in Acts 7. It's illustrated out clearly in Acts 7. By the way, they do it, they do it earlier in the Acts period, but you don't clearly see it till, except in Acts 7, okay? And then they're going to do it out over here as well. And so that unpardonable sin, don't let somebody use it on you to make you think you got to do some kind of religious hula hoop or whatever. It's not murder. It's not any of the stuff. I mean, all those are sins. You shouldn't be doing them anyway. But the unpardonable sin is speaking evil against the Holy Spirit. Okay? And we'll pick up in verse 33 and move on down and try to... Well, we got 50 more verses, so we'll get there eventually, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son. We thank you for that day on the road to Damascus when you saved the Apostle Paul. We thank you for changing the dispensation that enabled you to be able to do that. And we'll just give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.